Good morning and welcome to Monday morning, September the 11th in 2023 on When I Rise. Today we begin year A, proper week 19, which is the 16th Sunday after Pentecost. And on the Monday of the week, I'd like to take a look at the Old Testament passage, which comes to us in this week from the Revised Common Lectionary in this week of the church's calendar year. And so we find ourselves back in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 through 31. So let me read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection. And then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 through 31. The angel of God who was going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved before them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian camp and the Israelite camp. There was a dark cloud and it lit up the night so that one camp did not come near the other the whole night. Moses stretched out his hand toward the sea and the Lord drove the sea apart by a strong east wind all night and he made the sea into dry land and their water was divided. So the Israelites went through the middle of the sea on dry ground, the water forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians chased them and followed them into the middle of the sea, all the horses of Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. In the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he threw the Egyptian army into a panic. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's flee from Israel, for the Lord fights for them against Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, Extend your hand toward the sea, so that the waters may flow back on the Egyptians, on their chariots, and on their horsemen. So Moses extended his hand toward the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state when the sun began to rise. Now the Egyptians were fleeing before it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the middle of the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that was coming after the Israelites into the sea, not so much as one of them survived. But the Israelites walked on dry ground in the middle of the sea, the water forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel on that day from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore of the sea. When Israel saw the great power of the Lord had exercised over the Egyptians, they feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This is the word of God for us. Right, so you can do it what you want, obviously, but one of the things I do when I'm reading Old Testament story literature is to think about how they would have told stories in the ancient East uh, compared to how we tell stories today. There's probably some overlap, but there's definitely some differences. We tend to have this narrative arc um, in our stories where there's like a setting, there's a crisis, the climax, and the resolution, right? Well, they tend to organize their stories in a chiasm or like a big diamond shaped or like a big peak that goes up and then goes down. We've talked about this before on When I Rise, but you think about like Beowulf, you think about Forrest Gump, you think about stories like that. They end where they begin, and they're used, there's usually like a point way out in the story where at the story kind of, the first part of the story works towards and then works back from. And that seems to be what's going on here. If we can recall the beginning of the Exodus story, where does all the conflict start? It's where Pharaoh gets the idea of throwing Israelite babies into 
the Nile River and tries to exterminate their male population so that they could not grow any further. And so that's perhaps in the back of God's mind as he's bringing his people up out of Egypt. Um, He sends the plagues. They're on their way out. Pharaoh's army gets together. They muster up courage to try to chase down these people to return and enslave them once more. And so the story ends where it begins. Um, the, The enemies of God who need to be judged because of their heinous acts against God's people, they receive what they doled out to Israel several years earlier, right? So Moses is probably 80 years old at this time in those sets of 40s. So 80 years ago, a couple generations, and they were plunging babies into the Nile River. And here, 80 years later, God is settling the score uh, so that um, Israel can go free and they're no longer pursued by their enemies. There's also another element of this I think it's important. It's one of these like things that we get through the commentary um, of the scripture text. Uh, along the way, the, the ocean, the sea, was seen as like a place where evil derived from. So we got these monsters that come out of the sea. We got big storms that come up and afflict the uh, seaside communities all there in Palestine. And so here we have the sea not working against Israel, but actually working for Israel because God tames it. And it seems to leverage what we see in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 seems to be, you know, sparring against the Enuma Elish, another Mesopotamian origin story that talks about their god Marduk um, trying to create order from chaos as the gods were in a chaos fight against one another. And Genesis 1 1 starts with this void in the deep and the spirit hovering over the waters. Uh, the word in Hebrew is tova bohu, uh, which could also be this word for chaos. And so Genesis 1 starts with chaos and it brings to order all the way that Old Testament scholar Pete N says, you can name Genesis chapter 1, chaos has a very bad week, right? And uh, so God takes something that's chaotic and brings it to order. I sense that may be an element going on here. Uh, the people of Israel, they're harassed and helpless in Egypt. God sends a deliverer who has to deal with his own stuff, Moses. And uh, as God uses this imperfect mouthpiece, Moses, God brings out his people and uh, their slate is clear because their very enemies receive the same doom that they doled out against God's people in the beginning of the story. And so what can we say? I mean, we could talk a lot about what technically was this body of water. Um, There's a good chance it wasn't the Red Sea like we have on our maps, but the Sea of Reeds, which is closer to the Hebrew language. It's probably more fresh water than it was salt water because reeds don't grow in uh, salt water. And so there's all these things that Old Testament scholars spar with. Um, it's not a consolation to say the Sea of Reeds. Um, this is obviously a theophany, a, a time where God shows his power against the natural order of things in the earth, uh, holding back the waters, making them into walls so that the people of God can walk on dry ground. And uh, so God saves his people and he delivers them. And notice that that results. There's justice against God's enemies. And then there's this belief. There's this awe and reverence among God's people. And that might be um, a good rubric for how can we discern if God is uh, moving in the world today? I think we could see whenever injustice is toppled over, that God is a part of that, either directly or indirectly in the midst of all that. And then if God's people are led to awe and wonder and to belief, then God is at work as well. And so we don't find ourselves in a similar situation. I think those who try to conjure up the themes from this story uh, are probably exaggerating how we might need God to intervene in such a way. 
it seems like God um, sure does theophanies in the earth, uh, does um, spellbound us with great awe and wonder, things that happen that are spectacular. I think God also tries to train our minds to see the wonder and the beauty and the common things too. He's no less uh, present and near to us in those things than in a moment of theophany. And that's taken me a long time to get there. I think I probably always believed that cognitively. But I think early in the faith, I wanted to see God do demonstrative things. And would I love to see God do that? Absolutely. But I'm also just learning more and more day after day to relish the small things uh, where God's present. Um, Just like at the beginning of the story where the burning bush speaks to Moses and God uh, rescues Moses from a life of boredom and uh, just circling around a mountain chasing sheep. And now he's in the middle of the greatest geopolitical struggle of his time. And he's able to turn this people of God who were enslaved, who were wondering if God would ever deliver them. He's able to steer them towards faithfulness and ultimately point them towards their promised land. So with those things in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you that you're a God of justice and you're a God who cares for your people. Lord, we thank you that because you're a God of justice, we don't have to take matters into our own hands. Uh, we could take a look at the pain of the world today. And instead of trying to get in the middle of it and end it and force people to obey, uh, we get to serve, uh, we get to bind up and heal, and we get to pray, and uh, we get to uh, put lives together in sacred community. And so God, this day, we pray for all the places around us in our communities where, where there's just a lot of hurt, uh, things that are not seen by us all the time because they're tucked away or because our highways pass over them. We just simply pray that you would give us a heaviness in our hearts, uh, that you allow our prayers to be bold and for our service to be swift. And we do pray that uh, through your church, you lift up all the burdens and plights of the world today. God, we particularly pray for war-torn communities uh, in the continent of Africa. We pray for war-torn communities in Eastern Europe, in the uh, places in in Ukraine and folks like that, uh, where they are looking for answers. They've looked for answers for several months and answers don't seem to be coming swiftly. We just simply pray that you be the God of justice and that uh, you would cause evil plans to shatter. You'd bind up the brokenhearted and you would set the captives free today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.